This is Top Shop Podcast. Top Shop Podcast. Top Shop Podcast. Podcast for automotive service business owners by Paul Donahue. So, hey, everybody, welcome to Top Shop Podcast. A great guest. Uh, we had a quick interview at the MAP conference in Orlando just, when was that, last month, January? Yeah. And uh, so Jim uh, agreed to be on Top Shop Podcast. Very unique individual because I'm sure anybody in this industry knows what ATI is. Uh, but Jim's really unique. Jim's got 26 years in the auto repair industry. He owns Car Masters Auto in Norfolk, Virginia. So he's had that for 26 years. He's been in ATI coaching and training since February 2009. But as of 2021, uh, last couple of years, he's the director of technical training and development for ATI full time. So he's still running his shop after 26 years. He's really delegated well. He's got a senior manager that takes care of the shop. So he kind of overlooks things, but He's able to really balance between owning a very successful shop in Norfolk and being the technical director of training for ATI. So, Jim, thanks again for your valuable time to be on the show. We really appreciate it. So, while chatting with you just earlier here, coming from both angles, because uh, normally I interview successful shop owners that have been in business over 10 years, which you are, and then industry leaders in ATI and other companies. So, I don't know which way to go with this interview, but... I, I think since this is for shop owners, you brought up something a little bit ago that we really need to discuss that you really have a lot of experience and you took the training in ATI. Now you're the director of training and you're running a very successful shop. So the, you're, you're going to have some key insights into this question. What are some of the struggles that you see that uh, shop owners are currently having? And how do they solve them? So what would you say one of the top struggles is? I, I think I already know the answer to that question. It's hiring help. Yeah, hiring help. And it's at all levels. It's primarily technicians, but also sales staff. And often the shop owners are really focused on finding people with the skill sets or experience. But then they often run into a problem when they hire somebody and their service levels drop instead of increase, which they hired somebody to improve, not get worse because they, they found they hired somebody that wasn't a great team player. That was caustic instead of, and, and sometimes you don't know until you try them unless you have a better screening process that includes personality profile testing. And at ATI, we, besides personality profile test, we also use um, Genos International um, emotional intelligence assessments. They're a game changer. When hiring for your shop, what I found out, um, I, I take a leadership training course online and the guy likes to keep things simple. Vision, systems, people. So vision comes from us, the owners of the shop, owners of the company, the systems, and then the people. So when you hire a sales representative uh, to work at your CSR at your front desk, do they have a set system from the time they answer the phone by the third ring, what they're supposed to say? And do they have some sort of like something that they can go by that's provided them? Absolutely. You know, you have to have structure. You have to, so many times also different managers or shop owners, they have expectations, but they don't set those clearly in writing. And then when people don't meet them, they're upset or they think they're substandard, but they didn't do a good job defining and, and having structure and providing the training. There's so many times in, in, in all the different training that I have seen different technician shop owners and sales staff, so many people don't know what they don't know. So many people think I've been doing this for years and, and I've got this. And then they go to training and it's like, wow, 
You know, I just did last week, I did a shop communication essential training with a, a large automotive chain with some of their board members for the chain. And they were kind of blown away, you know, from just one four hour session. They're like, I can't imagine if we go through all the training, you know, how much work we have to do. Because right. what we, we, you know, we didn't know what we didn't know, you know, so and, and, and that's the truth. Nobody knows everything. I've had some techs give me a hard time. I've currently got 31 ASE certs and a world-class tech. Wow. Uh, and I've been blessed where I've got to sit the board with ASE and ATAF and help uh, update all the accreditation standards that all the colleges and trade schools have to currently meet to, to maintain their accreditation. But that doesn't mean I know everything. They're, I'm pretty good at using reference and resource. We, I, I wrote a course on that, how to use reference and resources. So I know how to find answers. But nobody knows everything. And that's and that's what everybody, I really suggest you stay humble no matter what you've done and how much experience because things are changing so fast. I've seen some really sharp diagnostic technicians didn't realize, for example, there's such a thing as three-phase DC power. So many people think it's only with alternating current. They've had three-phase DC fuel pumps from Delphi for a decade now. So there's just so many things that keep changing in the industry where you were trained professionally in the past and what you were taught in the past doesn't apply. I also did 22 years in the military, went through extensive at different as I made, um, you know, different pay grades and progressed to the military, a lot of leadership and management training. And some of that has been very beneficial and helpful to our current ATI training, but some of it also through new technology and, and new um, insights on how the human mind works and behavior was out of date and wrong, you know, that the military used to teach. So that's where we can't keep doing the same thing that we've been doing over and over for years and expecting different results. You keep surprising me, Jim, every time I talk to you. 22 years in the military, what branch? Navy. And I, I had the privilege for a few years of inserting, extracting, driving Navy SEALs to him from the beach. Wow. So... Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for serving your country. Um, my father was in the Navy uh, in World War II. So oh. um, yep, I appreciate it. And I got a 92-year-old Marine that lives back here. He goes walking around the neighborhood on his walker. And we got him a World War II a retired uh, Marine's hat for Christmas. My wife and I, and, uh, he, was, he was really touched. So um, there's not too many of those vets left. But thank you very much for serving your country. I, I didn't know that. 22 years in the Navy is wow. So ATI is definitely one of the more successful and it's the numbers. I love the numbers in your thing right there. 55% gross profit margins, 55% parts margin, 62% labor margin and 735 uh, ARO. So tell me about a ATI. How did you become involved? Obviously you, you took the training from them. And then as you grew your business and you took this training and you applied it to your business, uh, you eventually became the director of their technical training. So tell me about ATI. Tell me about a why. Every shop owner can benefit from ATI training. Having been in the military, I knew how valuable training was. And at the same token, you know, you get an exposure to them. Like I said early on, a lot of people don't know what they don't know. And I was forever learning and gaining more certifications in the military. I was an instructor and a curriculum developer in the military as well. So I got to share some of what I gained throughout the years. When I first opened my automotive business, at first I'm thinking this is just nuts and bolts and wires. I got this, and it, and it was overwhelming how much more as a business owner you 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 find that you realize you don't know. I had a worked with some local coaches, and I knew how important coaching was. 
And then uh, HI came around and had what they called a boot camp where they invited a bunch of shop owners to go. And as soon as I seen their program and it was taking what I already had to the next level, and this was back, you know, 17 years ago, I was like, oh, this is a no brainer. I, I need to join this. And plus they, they had a guarantee for, you know, the return on investment, what you invested. If you followed their program, you should get it back, you know, and it definitely helped get through rough times, especially in the military area here in Hampton Roads, Virginia, when they had the BRAC, the base realignment and a lot of economy dropped down and through COVID it helped sustain through those where they, they continuously improving up their game because they train the shop owners and coach them weekly. They also will train the service advisors. And since I joined January 1st, training the technicians. And we also developed an apprentice program that we're training technicians on. And we're using all the ASE accreditation task list and standards since I helped write those. I was also in 2018, which came out before COVID, ASE has a recertification app. I was a beta tester for that as well as I'm scheduled to here next month to help in a workshop update automotive engine repair, A1. So, you know, testing for ASC. So I really support ASC and I believe it uh, has a good standard for technicians to maintain and recognize their expertise and, and a good thing for the customers to see that as well, for customer recognition. You know, I've, I've heard some people joke that AC means like ask someone else, you know, and those are a lot of people that can't pass the test. Right. The other thing is, you know, there, there's a lot of people that you wouldn't want doing surgery on you unless they had paperwork saying they were a doctor. Correct. Occasionally, there's going to be some bad doctors, you know, that have malpractice issues. But the overwhelming majority that do the time, do the training, get that piece of paper are going to be beneficial when they use their resources properly. Same thing for an automotive technician. Okay. Awesome. What do you believe are the core values or guiding principles that have contributed to your success? Well, and, and it's funny you ask that. ATI has a set of 24 fundamentals that every coach takes a different um, turn, giving what it means to them, you know, and we share that weekly. But many of those core fundamentals were the way that I was you know, before I seen it structured and organized, you know, an incredibly system that ATI has, I was living by a lot of those. And a lot of those is because of the way I was raised by my parent, but especially the military, you know, doing the right thing. You know, if, if you make a mistake, own it, you know, and, and try, try to bring it every day, you know, with, with the mindset that everything you do has to be good for the customer, good for the team at the shop, you know, your crew. And the shop itself, because if, if, if it's not good for all three at the same time, it's not a sustainable program, you know, uh, a system. You got to have the right system, because if you're if you're overcharging a customer, you won't have customers. If you're underpaying your staff, you're not going to have a staff. And if the shop's not profitable, they're not going to be able to sustain and have a crew and customers. So it's got to be equally good at the same time all the time. OK, I, I like to get to a lot of the um, uh, younger shop owners. I mean, I might I want to get the podcast out to as many people as possible. But, you know, what motivated you to start your own business and what challenges did you face in the early stages? Because a lot of people, a lot of our listeners are going to be within their first five years or so, maybe running their shop. And that kind of answer from someone with your kind of experience could be helpful. <laughs> so what motivated you to start your own business and what challenges did you face in the early stages? Well, at a young age, my, my father had shops at home. We bought a large plot of land and we had what it, it used to be a commercial chicken 
you know, processing business with several outbiddings, became a body shop, a mechanical shop, all these shops at home. My dad was a union president for the Ford Chicago assembly plant. And he, he used to commute from Southern Michigan. I grew up in Park Forest, Illinois, just outside of Chicago, and then moved to Southern Michigan to be close to my grandmother. And we had all that growing up. So I learned automotive. And then I joined the Navy when I was 17. When I got stationed, so I, I knew a lot more than the average individual. Plus, I was a construction mechanic in the Navy and an engine in the Navy. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I had a lot of mechanical background from growing up, and I continued working on cars even after I joined the Navy. And there was a couple of times when I went in for service that some local shops, you know, were treating myself as a sailor, some of the other sailors and, and individuals. I didn't believe they were treating him very well or very ethically. And I was like, you know, I enjoy doing this, you know, so I'm going to open my own shop because, you know, people need to get, have a better option, a better alternative. So that's kind of been my mindset. It was driven kind of because of being done wrong. And all of those shops that did me wrong have been out of business, you know, for many years. They didn't, they, it, it was, you know what I mean? So you know, you don't wish that on anybody, but at the same token, they were flatly doing stuff that was unethical, dishonest and thinking I didn't know any better. And how many people did they get over on that didn't have my level of knowledge? You right. know, thinking I was just a regular consumer. So it's sad, but it happened too much. So that's why in the automotive industry, having a clear vision, everybody li- in living by your vision, living by your mission statement. You know, if you, when you're doing it well in a shop, nobody in your shop should have to go to your internet page and read your mission station or look for a block on the wall. Cause if you're living it, they should know it. Right. right. You, you, you know, so that, that's kind of a game changer when you're doing it right. So that's you're doing, how I got into it was you saw the need. And I agree with you, Jim, there's an awful lot of people, an awful lot of people, business owners, they just don't understand as you sow, so also shall you reap. It's, Pretty short sentence with all big implications, but most people just don't get it. So what would you think were your most significant challenges in the early stages when you opened your shop? And there again, not knowing what I didn't know, not realizing not what I didn't know. know. And, and, and coaching helped me through that a lot. And, and truly, I made a lot of bad hires because I was hiring for a position and not and when it needed to be equally the person. And this was... and. Before the Genos International um, Emotional Intelligence Assessment came out, after I had made a bad hire on a senior technician, a master technician that was also a state inspector for an inspection program, which are hard to find. But he was not a team player. He claimed he was. Mm -hmm. But his definition of a team player did not match anybody else that I knew. So at that point, I realized, okay, you know, like I said earlier, you got to own your mistakes. I made the bad hire when I had expectations and job descriptions. I had a job description for a technician, for an apprentice, for a manager, for a service advisor, for a service manager. I didn't include the definition of a team player in any of those. Mm-hmm. So I, I did research, sought out definitions of team players, and I created a two page document of what it means to be a team player. So that's part of the job description. And I share that with other ATI shops as well. So you're clearly setting expectations. So you're all on the same page. If somebody's offended by that definition, they're probably not the right fit for your organization. Unless you've got a one man show where there's no team, teams make a big difference when they work together and they have based on uh, Genesis 
international's results, when you have high emotional intelligence, they're all going to be more productive. You're going to have less friction, less conflict. When there is an issue, you're going to be able to resolve it in a more beneficial, quicker uh, time frame. So there's a lot of advantages. And I had a technician years ago that had worked and had left and want to come back. And my new manager gave him the Genos test and he scored pretty low, like in the teens, when most of the technicians are going to be in the fifties or above. And a lot of your really good service advisor sales staff are going to be in the seventies to nineties. And it was like, huh, you know, having that the, the manager didn't know he used to work for us. And as soon as I seen the name, I'm like, yeah, he might know his automotive, but he's not really a team player. Then I seen his results. I'm like, this test is real. <laughs> you know what I mean, this this thing is, uh, you know, and I seen it happen more than once that way. And you're preaching to the choir, Jim, because same thing. I mean, my wife and I first got started. Do you think we made a couple of bad hires? You know, <laughs> but well, you got to own them. It's not their fault. I'm the one that hired them. Uh, you said something that really clicked with me right away and I wrote it down. Hiring for the position, not the person. What, what I like to tell everybody to do when they're hiring, screen yeah. them for your company. Screen them to see if they're a team fit, you know, based on the person. Because there's also what I've seen happen is when you get tunnel vision and you only look at the skill set for a technician, you might have somebody that might be an incredible service advisor that you wish you hadn't turned them away. Because frequently, if, if, if you've got more than one candidate and you have a more skilled technician and you pass on another technician and you didn't really screen them for the person and a fit for your company, I would so much rather, Paul, if you were applying to me, and, and I needed a master tech state inspector and you were a, a mid-level tech, but yet you scored and, and, and you looked like you would be a great fit for the company. And, and you, some of your personality testing and other scores show that you have potential to be great in sales. I would so much rather say, hey, Paul, I've got some great news. You scored as a great fit for a company and you showed a lot of potential for a sales manager, for a sales position. I don't have that position open right now. But I would like to keep your resume, your information on file. And as soon as that position opens up, I would like permission to reach out to you, Paul. Mm -hmm. That's a huge difference that you're not losing that person. You're keeping them, so to speak, on a bench, you know, ready to be called to the starting lineup. Plus, it's, it, that's completely opposite of saying, Paul, I'm sorry. We hired somebody more skilled for the technician. Thank you very much. And I'm done. Sometimes Paul gets pretty upset over that. Why well, they didn't pick me, you know, whatever. And they may not think favorable of that company, mm. you know, so there, as well as you may not have, you know, Paul might not consider you or even apply for a service position that he actually may be better fit for. Mm. So do you have any specific ways that you screen to see if they're a fit for your team? Like maybe you've got what your shop's values are and core values are, and you kind of look for that in the people. That's kind of something that, that we do with advanced digital automotive group. Is there anything specific that you can give to the auto shop owner that would help them screen a person to see if they're a fit for that particular shop's team? Well, that's where the, the Genos test does a great job for that. Okay. For the team. It, that, that's a really starting point for that. The, the personality profile has to do a little bit more on the position because it can identify if somebody has logical intelligence, which is yeah. where a technician needs to be versus emotional intelligence and communication skills where a service advisor needs to be. Are you using DISC? 
It's a disk type test for the personality test. profile. Okay. Any of you shop owners that aren't familiar with it, I'll help you out with that. We don't hire anybody without a disk test. It's a personality assessment test. I'll put a link here to where you can get started on disk assessments. Go, go ahead, Jim. So, yeah, and that's a combination when you do. The other thing that's unique about the Genos assessment is that after the potential employee, the client takes a assessment on the different areas, it'll generate six questions on each different area that are unique to that individual based on their testing. It also, unlike the disk test on most disk tests, don't have an error, you know, accuracy kind of. The, the generals will show if they're trying to artificially inflate or manipulate, and it will compensate their, their, their results based on the manipulation. Huh. But it, it also give the manager or the owner that's hiring those unique six questions on each area for follow-up interview questions. Okay. And it also gives some training. Part of that training that the owner goes through before they use it is how to evaluate their responses from that interview from the question. So it's a really thorough and very useful, but, it, you know, it, and it, there again, it's a combination of setting clear standards like job description includes what it means to be a team player, not just the technical stuff, you know, what in, in your mission and part of your mission statement and the vision for the organization, you know, and because if anybody has a problem with any of that, then, you know, don't waste your time and their time. Move on to the next. Right, move on to the next one. So there's all kinds of tips that I've received from shop owners. You know, like one of them is a, a family that eats together, stays together. So uh, some shops, they'll call in a barbecue lunch once a month or, or once a week or whatever, or they'll do burgers and hot dogs. They shut down the shop for an hour and everybody has burgers and dogs and they sit around and talk. Uh, do you have any other tips for shop owners on finding, keeping or retaining and training a good techs? Besides, well, the part of that too is in one of my saying, and I literally had two or three different parts stores ask me this because besides the part store I was affiliated with where we had their automatic annual training, I was paying for two or three other part stores annual training where I was paying for a lot of training. And I had them say, you know, you're paying for all this training. What if they leave? And right away, my thought was, what if I don't and they stay? And I can remember that it was actually one of the pet boy salesmen that asked me that, yeah. you know, but it was, you know, then what do I have? Mm -hmm. You know, so you, you need to invest in your people. The other thing is their time's valuable. I compensate them for training, especially after hours, you know, for if they complete the training and they participate in the training, they do have to complete and they do got to participate. They can't, you know, um, but if they complete the training, I, I compensate them for that. You know, so, you know, if it's important enough for them to go, you, you kind of need to, I mean, it's their time. The other thing is absolutely some after hours team building stuff. The uh, most in our area, like I said, I'm retired military. At one point, everybody in my shop was military, a retiree or veteran or family members of that. And in Virginia, there's a lot of people we like to do some shooting, especially military individuals. So we'd go out in, in a country, you know, where I own land out in a country as well as one of my other shop members. And we'd do a lot of shooting targets and stuff. And then we'd have a cookout afterwards or we'd go bowling. There's a variety of different stuff we do. But one of the things that we that I have also found, if you have somebody that's a potential new member, invite them to that so they can see how you interact. There's a lot of times things that probably wouldn't be appropriate or even legal to ask during an interview when they're with your team, they'll volunteer that, mm. you know, where you get to know each other. Sure. 
You, you know what I mean? And and because you you don't want to waste their time or your team's time. You want to have a right fit. So you want to do be right by everybody. I had one shop owner. They weren't an ATI shop owner, but they had said that I was crazy for giving my employees a loaded gun and being there with them. And I was like, well, I don't know how your morale is or how you treat your people, but I haven't had a concern with that yet. So you might want to reconsider, you know, maybe who you're hiring and how you're screening or how you're treating the people you got. Just in my humble opinion. Yes. So one of the questions I like to ask is what role has mentorship played in your career? And that's what ATI has been for you. ATI has been this mentorship from the very beginning, uh, correct? Well, that started with the military where I had some incredible mentors. And and it's funny you mentioned that, you know, where the ATI apprenticeship program is different than a model than almost any other in the industry is we take our technician mentors and we call them a mentor. And they go through a two-day mentoring workshop that my, myself and the collision vice president wrote that's AMI credited, a two-day workshop. Mm-hmm. And that's the beginning of their journey. So we believe train the trainer first. There are so many technicians that if you ask a service manager or shop owner, they'll tell you never let that technician talk to a customer because they, they've only had technical training. Leadership, the majority of leadership, there's no such thing as a natural born leader. Only about 25 or 30% of the most of leadership is genetic. The majority is through training and experiences. So if those technicians have never been invested in with leadership and employee engagement and staffing and hiring and other training, you're kind of setting them up for failure. And I, I love a book and I recommend everybody read it called Lessons from the Mouse written by Dennis Snow. Mm-hmm. where it talks about everybody is a customer. You have internal and external customers. And if you don't want that brand new team member, that brand new apprentice or team member to, you know, if you don't want that technician talking to an external customer that's paying the shop, then why would you put your internal customer with them? You know, whereas when they go through the personality profile testing, this is even after they've been hired. Right. You can learn just like on the disc type, you can learn the different personalities and some collide and don't get along and some get along great in different areas where you can learn how, what type of person they are and they can learn what kind of person the other one is and be aware of conflict and they can avoid that. So there's a lot that we do with training the trainer and making them a technician mentor. And we train what the differences of a leader, the differences of a coach, the difference of an instructor, the difference of a teacher and a mentor. And we try to get them prepared and well-rounded. So that way, when they get that new trainee, that new team member, they can be better prepared. Just like in sales, a lot of companies teach to identify buying personalities, different customers. Some like the most value, you know, the most miles per dollar on a tire. Some like the cheapest. Some like the safest. Some are all ultra performance, like the high performance stuff. And really good advisors will identify buying personalities, which we teach at ATI, but the good ones will. And they'll shift and accommodate their customer. Good technicians, when you teach them the leadership and all the different, you know, ongoing, you know, employee engagement, all the other classes, some really good t- technicians are pretty smart. When you give them the right tools and the right training, they too can adjust as needed with different new team members mm-hmm. and, and have less conflict and, and, and it'll work better. Now, a few of them may not be able to, just like some certain, not everybody's fit to be a service provider and some of them may not be able to adjust as needed as well. Some may be 
better just with one type of person. And then you realize that and you just match your people up better and you'll get better results. Yeah, you're talking a lot about company culture. So it looks like mm-hmm. you've developed a lot of time into uh, developing a co- company culture. So it, just like my company, we had to actually sit down and decide what should our company culture be? What are the values that we value the most? And I use uh, EOS, which is Entrepreneurial Operating System by Gina Wickman. It's a great book and it's a structured management program. So and I really like it. So one of the exercises is you take your top three people write them down. And then what are the values that those top three people have that you value the most? Why did you choose them? And then, so you write that on a spreadsheet, basically, all, you know, innovative, you know, whatever all those values are. And then you list all of your people in your company. And then at the end, you put GWSC, get it, want it, have the capacity to do it. So when you run the values, it's plus, plus, minus, or minus, either yes, in the middle or no. And then with the GWC, get it, want to have the capacity to do it. It's either yes or no. So if any team member on my team, even though they look really good, if we answer no to get it, want to have the capacity to do it, we don't hire that person. So, but we have a system, you have a system, and that's what I'm just wanting to get across to the other shop owners. It's important to have all of this stuff systematized. So you're comparing apples to apples consistently with uh, every single day. Just as far as your shop is concerned, because we're all interested in revenues, what are some valuable marketing and growth strategies that have worked well for your shop? Well, one of the things is we use where every call going in and out is recorded. One of our tools we use is Auto Vitals Digital Vehicle Inspections. Mm-hmm. And that way that can has probably for digital vehicle inspections probably has some of the best reporting for managers where they can see what's happening by who, how much, when and where, or if it's not happening. Jim, what trends or developments do you see shaping the future of the industry right now? I'm uh, EV is, is obviously a big one. The biggest thing that I see is while the shiny penny that everybody is falling is definitely EV, you know, the little shiny object. But where a lot of shops are missing the boat, which is not just opportunity, but it's a huge liability, is ADOS, Advanced Driver Assist. Many manufacturers take a Subaru with EyeSight program that has stereo dual cameras in the windshield. The wiper blades cross over those cameras. If you change a wiper blade on the Subaru manufacturer's checklist, it says you're supposed to check ADOS calibration. And also there's federal law, Title 49, Section 30122, that says if you render an operative or make any element or design of element safety-wise, that's against federal law. Wow. So if you're turning around and you're affecting the accuracy and calibration of ADOS and the manufacturer says you're supposed to calibrate it and you don't, there's been some lawsuits where they've proven that if it had been calibrated after maintenance or repairs that there would have mitigated, if not eliminated an accident that resulted in a fatality. So you cannot say there's no disclaimer. Cause if you have a disclaimer that says, Oh, I know this was supposed to be calibrated, but we didn't do it. Customers on you. You're like admitting you knew better guilt and you're the professional you're putting in writing. So disclaimer hurts you when you don't do the right thing. Correct. You, you know, you know, so the, it's like it's like telling the customer that, you know, after you do brake hose in line, that they have to go get brake fluid and bleed their brakes and let them drive away. <laughs> you know, you made it less safe. Right. You know, so, so um, you know, that's an exaggeration, but it gets the point. Right. Yeah. 
Yep. So um, over 25 million cars, if you do an alignment, you're supposed to calibrate or check ADOS. ADOS. How many cars? Over 25 million different cars. And this was like, a stat was from Hunter Engineering like two years ago. It was 20. It's probably way more than that now. Wow. Just on alignments. Yes. You you do. One of the things, which is the current ASC NATAF accreditation standard, the very first thing that is mandatory, a brand new apprentice has got to identify if what ADOS systems a vehicle has before they work on it. Because if they're changing tire circumference or ride height with shocks or struts or, or steering, there's so many things that the manufacturer requires that the ADOS be calibrated. And if they're doing any of those type of some things would have been considered basic entry level repairs or maintenance and they don't calibrate it, they're, they're potentially making the car less safe, which is against federal law. And it's not following manufacturers approved repair procedures, just like they're supposed to know that high voltage hazards. That's not just EVs. There's been high voltage fuel injection for decades, high voltage HID for headlights and stuff. So there's multiple things on vehicles that are high voltage that can get somebody hurt. And and some of those injectors and HID stuff aren't orange like a hybrid or EV is. So let me just ask you this. I've been following EVs and I've been following the environmental green thing. Uh, these things are an environmental disaster, in my opinion, based on the research that I've read. They say that by the time they put one of those things on the lot, it's burned up more carbon and put more emissions into the atmosphere than a regular a combustion engine car over the life of the car. So, and then what are we going to do with these batteries? So, what is your opinion on this EV? Just personal, where do you think it's going to go? Do you, do you think they're going to come out with hydrogen and the EV's got to go by the wayside? Uh, because the, the mining of these resources is horrific on the earth. Well, the, the mining is horrific. Just like you said, the, the environmental impact there, they don't have a recycle program for the batteries. So that's going to be toxic disposal. Yep. I, I believe I've seen recently the news, it may have been BMW, one manufacturer was shifting from EV to hydrogen, just like you mentioned. Toyota. Uh, yeah. So there's a couple manufacturers that are looking into that. Yep. The, f- the fact that the recent estimate I've seen to support the government mandate, you would need 2 million charging stations and there's less than 200,000 right now. 2 million is what they, you know, nationwide to support the government mandate. And they don't have the infrastructure for power or charge. Or, and from what I also heard, they don't have enough, even if the money was there, they don't have enough talent, enough manpower available to install all those and keep doing all the other necessary electrician type jobs and construction type jobs. So they're, 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 even though somebody may have had good intentions in the government, they may have been, you know, misguided based on reality, based on being able to apply it uh, in the infrastructure, not to mention the cost. There's a lot of Ford reduced production or stop making some of the F one fifties because they weren't being purchased. They cost more as well as in areas where they freeze. And I grew up outside of Chicago and then Southwestern Michigan. It gets cold there. You know, in some of the places that get really cold, the EVs aren't exactly have the standard range. And some of them didn't want to work at all when it gets 20, 30 below. Wow. So there, there's all kinds of issues. They're also talking about the 123YF isn't the greatest refrigerant for efficiency on a heat pump. And that the electric grids are not the greatest efficiency heaters that some of the EVs are using. 
and that they may have to come with a different yet refrigerant that will do good for cooling and heating as a heat pump in an EV. Even though they are using some 123YFs as heat pumps, they don't have the greatest desired efficiency on the heat pump side. And I also seen that recently there was a low emission diesel that had lower emissions when you include the power plant, fossil fuel power plant to produce electricity to charge the EV. Mm-hmm. That there, some of the low emission diesels were actually less impact on the environment when you include the impact of the electricity to charge an EV, mm-hmm. which a lot of the government weren't including that environmental impact. Okay. All right. Hey, Jim, just quick, what advice would you give to aspiring entrepreneurs that are really getting started or maybe been in the business for a while and they're trying to get to that two and three million mark and they're just not able to get there? What advice would you give to those aspiring entrepreneurs and shop owners? Well, just like a, one of my, which I, I also have home track NASCAR stock cars and I've done my fair share of racing a stock car. And from the days of thunder, they talk about, you got to slow down to go fast. Yeah. Too many shop owners are too busy to go to training, to get coaching. Their teams are shorthanded, so they don't make time for their team to get training. And that's going to be kind of a, a, a broken dead end loop. You know, it's not going to get better when they keep doing the same thing, expecting different results, as well as they don't know what they don't know. So whether it's ATI or another coaching training organization, which I believe ATI is kind of sounding our horn. We're the only ones that train shop owners, technicians, and and advisors, all three from the whole automotive gambit. But they need to get that from somebody because they don't know what they don't know. They need to find some quality coaches, some quality trainers, and it needs to be part of their culture. Like, I love it. You pointed that out, what's important, but it needs to be training and it needs to be something like that you can just put on the shelf. Right. It needs to be just as important as turning the lights on and open the doors that we are a training company that needs to be their culture. Yeah. When you text know that you're investing in them, that you're telling them that you care about them and their careers and their families. And, you know, are some going to leave? Sure. But like you said, uh, better to have train them and leave than have them come and don't train them and they stay. And thanks for that bit of advice. It's something I'm struggling with myself. Slow down to go fast. That's the best advice you could possibly give to a shop owner. I just did a workshop in January where all the shop owners I see that are really growing and doing well, they know their numbers. So like if they're doing two million and they want two and a half, great. How do I get that over another half a million? So I've got a spreadsheet that we I have my accountant work out where they can put if my average ticket is 650, then great. I need another 277 leads at this amount of dollar lead to, per month to, in order to achieve that goal. So you work those numbers, set the goal, and then work backwards from there. And we show shops how to do that. So Jim, thank you so much for your time. You've imparted a lot of great information. It's one of my better podcasts. I really appreciate it. Roger that. Very yeah. good. For additional automotive resources and exclusive content, follow us on Spotify and subscribe to our YouTube channel to catch all our episodes. Thanks again for joining us in the driver's seat, and we'll see you next time for another thrilling episode of Top Shop.